Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Friday, the 26th of February, the final, um, well, the final day that we will be talking during, uh, during this month. When we join together again, the first of the week, it will be March. So anything that you needed to get done by the end of February, like time is rushing past. Um, we describe this as your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. That's one of the things you hear in the lead into the program every single day your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. We spoke earlier this week with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, One of the topics we discussed was Nigeria. And this morning I opened my news feed to find this horrific headline, hundreds of Nigerian schoolgirls taken in mass abduction. And I had to check and see whether or not uh, maybe I was looking at a headline from a number of years ago. Uh, but no, in fact, this, uh, this just happened in, uh, in the last 24 hours. So some 300 little girls, um, one father, uh, who is quoted in the story says that his 10 year old and his 13 year old daughters are among the 300 school girls that have been abducted. Um, let's be mindful that to educate your child particularly your female child, is understood by um, Islamist extremists to be a Western idea. And so um, that's one of the motivations behind the abductions, uh, particularly of girls who are being educated. However, uh, if you read back through the headlines related to abductions in Nigeria, you will note that um, boys' schools are targeted as well. Let's be praying today for these desperate families, be praying for the Nigerian government to figure out a way forward, Um, and let's pray that God's God's grace and mercy would be sufficient even unto this. Amnesty International has confirmed in a report uh, just in the last day what we had already discussed and reported here, that uh, civilians in the city of Aksum in the Tigray region of Ethiopia were in fact rounded up and gunned down by members of military forces from neighboring Eritrea. Uh, Many hundreds of these people were Christians, possibly the entire congregation uh, of one church. And um, when you read, when you read the article and you read that they are basing some of the, of their numbers on the, um, Satellite photos that show soil disturbed around churches, what they're talking there, uh, they're talking about, you know, grave sites, burial sites. And if they can see that the soil has been disturbed, then they know that at least one person is buried there. Let's be praying for people today. Um, the world is a very hostile place. You have, you have just uh, heard this morning that the United States of America has taken out uh, airstrikes 
against Iranian targets in Syria and that people have lost, that lives have been lost, at least one, but um, in other reports, more. Um, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a grossly misnamed Equality Act in a party line vote. There were hearings yesterday in the U.S. Senate featuring cabinet nominees who are unable to name even one scenario in which an abortion would be inappropriate um, or to name any age at which a child should not be subjected to genital mutilation in the United States of America via sex reassignment surgery. Um, There is outrage over the rebranding of Mr. Potato Head, Um, and yet there is not outrage over the Uyghurs. Hollywood is abuzz over Lady Gaga's half a million dollar uh, offering, no strings attached reward for the return of two dogs. Uh, And there is a bigger-than-life golden statue of former President Trump being universally mocked as a golden calf at CPAC. Uh, Yes, millions of Americans are out of work. We have a migrant crisis at the border. Families in New York State want answers about unreported deaths of loved ones at nursing homes via COVID. Um, And I'm willing to bet you've got a lot of stress in your life, um, more stress in your life maybe than you could easily describe in one sentence. So let's take a deep breath today. Let's pray. And then let's deliberately turn to the world that God so loves, recognize that he does have it all in the hollow of his hand, and that there is a lot for us to be prepared to discuss as Christians in the world today. Father, grant us the grace. Grant us the grace. You alone are sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. When I come back, Matt Hawkins and I are going to discuss something going on in the state of Georgia. Matthew Hawkins is joining me. He's the former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be back. Yeah. Um, so what's going on in Georgia? I, I mean, what is faith protection legislation? Because, yeah. man, that sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> it sounds very marketable. It's, it's, it does sound marketable. I think we could market some faith protection legislation. Faith protection legislation. So, if uh, if uh, politicians and legislators are are good at nothing else, they're good at nowadays at labeling uh, their legislative uh, efforts, including the Equality Act, and uh, in a different, very different sphere, uh, Faith Protection Act. But uh, before we get to the specifics of the uh, Faith Protection Act, I it's it's within the category um, of a reflection over the past year in America in which uh, Americans have now lost more than 500,000 lives um, in the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, that, that is not something we can take lightly. Um, we, um, and uh, we got to be mindful of, uh, along with the laundry list of uh, kind of terribleness that you listed in your opener, uh, that's affected a lot of families. Uh, across this country, um, and, and it's a big deal, and uh, most of us weren't really prepared for it. N- not many of us alive have lived through have lived through a pandemic. Um, but the good news now is that we can look back at the last year and learn um, from uh, what uh, America did well and and what America has has not done so well, and some of what. Uh, we saw in some places do well and other places not do well is in the space of um, governor authority um, with Uh respect to um, closing 
civil society institutions in the face of the pandemic. Uh, this includes schools and businesses and also houses of worship, uh, including local churches that you and I are part of. And uh, from coast to coast, you kind of see um, opportunities where state governors are becoming coming under extra scrutiny. Uh, now that the height of the crisis has, seems to be behind us um, with um, inoculations rolling out and deaths and caseloads uh, declining in the pandemic. And there's a little bit of space now for governors to face um, some reckonings on their actions. And in uh, many cases, in most cases, governors have a lot of, um, a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom, um, under what uh, is called, you know, emergency powers, executive powers, um, to uh, make some quick decisions and roll out quick mandates under their authority, and that's coming under some scrutiny now. Uh, in Georgia, um, Governor Kemp is facing some scrutiny um, from some of the some of his uh, decisions during the pandemic. Uh, Governor Newsom in California is facing some scrutiny. Um, there's chatter. I don't know how realistic it is, but there's chatter about a recall election from him. Uh, Governor Kemp is in a little better situation that they're just discussing uh, some legislative options to rein in the power of the executive. Um, but the point is, basically, uh, of the Faith Protection Act uh, that Governor Kemp is supporting is basically it would limit the power of the governor of of the of the state government to close churches in the face of uh, something like a public health crisis, um, and that sounds that sounds pretty decent to those of us who have been very concerned about religious liberty implications in the face of something like a pandemic. How strong is the state, and uh, you know if if it has the power to close church doors, you know for how long, right? And if if you there's one opportunity to do it, you know is it a slippery slope, right, to give them the power to do it? Uh, uh, in another situation uh, that doesn't really call for it. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this uh, maybe before, but I've kind of been torn on, uh, on, on, the, on kind of a balance here, right? Um, because churches were prominent and important institutions of civil society. Uh, you and I believe it's more than that, right? We're part of the kingdom of God. Um, but, uh, you know, we do gather inside buildings, um, and in the context of um, an airborne or an air transmitted virus, uh, that does present risks. And I, I don't think we should uh, take those lightly. Um, and some churches have handled them differently. Uh, churches where my church is along the street, they've handled those differently, right? So this isn't just even a state by state issue mm -hmm. or a coastal versus mid America thing. Uh, we know churches so down the, the street so from is, each other. Yeah. So this yeah. is a question that, like, I was asking a ladies' lunch a couple of weeks ago um, because I was making positive comments about the congregation where I worship. And, yeah. um, and, and one of the gals said, you know, well, we're kind of looking for a church. And I said, well, you know, you, we, I'd love to, you know, welcome you and, you know, let me know which service you want to come to. And she says, well, do we have to wear masks? I mean, like with a, with some the disgust disdain. in her voice yeah. and I, yeah, yeah, some disdain. And I said, okay, let me just, let me just check here. Are you not going like to your church? Are you not participating in the online services being offered because your church in, in in-person gatherings requires masks. And with this like disgust, right? She said, yes. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I mean, this is, this is the hesitancy, right? Do I want right. you to come? Like, right? right? I don't know that I want that spirit. I don't want to be the person that invites that spirit, but I want her to hear the gospel, right? I mean, there's all that. It's all yeah, wound up yeah. in it. So, um, so yeah, we yeah. continue to extend invitation to people, but we recognize that 
And just to, you know, put full transparency here, we have one service, um, yeah. in-person service, where masks are required. And we have another in-person service where they are optional. But they're only optional, like, when you're already in your socially distanced area, um, you know, one full uh, pew right. away from any other family yeah. group. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you only take it off when you get to your spot and you put it back right. on before you leave your spot. Like, right, we're still yeah. making every attempt to be good to our neighbors, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I think but there are churches gathering with, I mean, like full packed yeah. congregations with no masks. And and, you know, I'm not going to be openly critical of them, but I am going to say I'm not sure how loving that is to the neighbor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge. We're trying to balance Huge different uh, interests and different Christian priorities. Uh, we're trying to, you know, continue to worship together. Um, but we also are trying to extend love and care for uh, not only those outside of our fellowship who might be visiting, but uh, people in our care, um, uh, you know, pe- brothers and sisters in Christ um, who are yeah. part of our, our fellowship. And uh, the the balance, too, is because, you know, if, if the governors can't show any authority towards churches or at least make some recommendations, it also then puts the weight of kind of being a public health official on the way to the pastor too. Yeah, no, pa- and pastors uh, right? are not so, epidemiologists, and, right? And That's not so, yeah, and, right, and uh, and some of them are might be willing to make those calls and and might be up on that kind of stuff. A lot of pastors don't want that kind of uh, you know uh, scientific medical authority. They they want some guidance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to decide what to do with for their church. Uh, they're not you know most pastors are not going to mandate masks, right? Because mandating quote unquote uh, gets into you know mm-hmm. enforcement and that kind of thing. Um, but you can you know encourage people to do things, and you can normalize behavior, uh, and you can explain that we're doing things out of love of neighbor. So th- that's kind of where my head goes when I see um, uh, legislation like this, and then no doubt I would be positive uh, toward it. Um, as a small government conservative and as a, as a person who wants the churches to continue to move and or continue to meet and uh, not be threatened uh, uh, under, uh, you know, religious liberty concerns. Um, but I just recognize there's a balance here. Uh, and I think churches ought to be um, collaborating uh, with governments in the, in the face of um, in public health crises here and not immediately take um, a, a hostile stance. Uh, although, you know, once you try to work with um work with the government that uh, eventually uh, some things become unreasonable. And so we do know of a sister church in Washington, D.C. that had to sue uh, the D.C. government last year uh, and won, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because the the D.C. protocols were too far, right? Um, But I think there's, we kind of have to work through that uh, and not always be reflexive um, in in the face of uh, government decisions. Uh, That's my take on on that situation. But uh, it looks looks like a good development uh, in Georgia. Yeah, and good good thing to look at if you're looking for something to talk about in your own state in terms of how you might approach mm-hmm. the conversation about executive orders and emergency powers and um, the relationship between the church and the state. Uh, absolutely. All right. Hey, let's take a brief break. When we come back, um, I want you to tell us about Oak Flat and the Apache mm-hmm. Nation and um, the desire to, I don't know, dig up a sacred site. Maybe that's yep. the best way to say it. <laughs> All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, um, we are now going to talk about something called the Arizona Copper Triangle. So we're talking about a site <laughs> in the current U.S. state of Arizona, but it is a site yeah. that has been in the Apache Nation, much longer than America has been a country. 
um, and yeah. we are talking about um, religious liberty, and we are talking about um, a site that the Apache Nation considers as sacred to them as the Jews consider Mount Sinai. Uh, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, this is pretty fascinating, and uh, not uh, these kind of situations um, in in the context of religious liberty. Uh, lawsuits do happen. Uh, they don't always get the news cycle that some other religious liberty uh, debates or, or cases get. Um, but yeah, if you go to Phoenix, this is about a, a site that's about 20 miles uh, east of Phoenix, um, and it's called Oak Flat. And uh, it's, a, it's a sacred Apache site uh, that's been part of the, uh, the Tonto National Forest nearby, uh, where Native Americans have gone to worship, pray, and conduct religious ceremonies. Um, for, as you say, you know, longer than the the U.S. has been established as a country. And, uh, you know, there, there's not, you know, conflicts regarding uh, religion and land use uh, and land ownership uh, are particularly uh, fraught, right? And they're particularly difficult um, uh, outside the American context. Uh, where, where do we think about land conflicts and religion? Uh, we think about Israel. And Palestine, right? Um, so these kinds of things uh, can can haunt uh, a nation and uh, people for uh, for generations. Um, so what you have here is somewhere under Oak Flat, apparently is a giant copper deposit about seven thousand feet below the surface, and uh, for many many years um, that land has been protected. Um, from, uh, from, you know, business, uh, efforts to go and, and dig up, um, sacred sites because it disturbs the land, right? And it disturbs the practice of the people, uh, on that land, uh, which has, uh, religious liberty, uh, implications. And so, uh, you've got mining companies who have long, you know, lo- lobbied Congress for years, uh, to get, to free up this space and basically make it unprotected. And for the most part, the government did it, but, one of these situations and uh, as happens in some big legislations is that little writer, what they call legislative writers, basically short pieces of documents that are tagged on to bigger, uh, bigger legislative issues got tagged on and passed, uh, I think back in about like 2014 or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, basically made, basically made uh, this land now vulnerable uh, to mining companies, uh, uh, one one mining company in particular, Resolution Copper, uh, to uh, come in and uh, and use their land to dig up this copper, um, and that's a problem. Uh, and my friends over at at Beckett, uh, religious the, the religious liberty law firm, they have taken this case, and uh, I can tell you that if Beckett took it, it's a pretty good indication that the Apache are going to win uh, because Beckett uh, doesn't mess around. Uh, they are a quality religious law, law firm. Um, they uh, are, are kind of in the category of um, of our friends at Allied Defending Freedom, uh, and they have uh, multiple Supreme Court wins. Uh, but look, this infringes on at least three different approaches to religious liberty, um, individual freedoms, right? Uh, and the government, the limitations of the first amendment, uh, limit government from, uh, preventing or burdening the expression of religious freedom, uh, and religious beliefs. And, uh, one of the balancing tests, um, for government, for, for court, court cases in these, in these situations 
is whether or not uh, a person has established uh, a credible history of um, or institution person or or people group have established a history of um, of religious practice, and that's pretty clear with the Apache mm-hmm. situation. Um, <clears throat> And religious liberty for Native Americans. Look, uh, even though uh, it's not a situation where um, the government or people are saying, hey, uh, we're going to pick on Apaches because they're Apaches or because they're uh, Native Americans, this is more of an indirect right, uh, conflict. Right. Um, but that's, not, that's also not okay. <laughs> the, um, we, we protect people from even indirect incursions on religious on religious freedom. Otherwise, it's not religious freedom if uh, people can kind of just skirt it indirectly. Um, yeah, it's, look, it's a yeah. Go ahead. Oh, lastly, ahead. Uh, it's a direct violation. Not only we, I mean, the you know First Amendment. Um, people may may dispute, uh, but the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, bipartisanly passed in 1993, explicitly. Um, protects religious groups by tell, explaining to the government they have to show what, it, what they call a compelling interest um, and use the least restrictive means when it takes actions. And so the government has uh, taken action by removing protections for this sacred site for the sake of copper mining. Uh, and uh, that's I don't think that's going to bear well um, for the government uh, in this case. So that's my take on that. And uh, we need to affirm um, the religious freedom of uh, people, even when they're not you know, practicing the Christian faith here in America. So I'll um, I'll add this one political note to the conversation. The two senators who argued for this, uh, Arizona senators John McCain and John <coughs> Kyle, neither of neither of them are the now sitting senators in the state of Arizona for the state of Arizona, and so um, Arizona no longer has a voice um, in terms of the particular advocacy that was taking place in 2012, um, mm. which resulted in this rider being attached to. Um, a, de- a defense funding measure in 2014, and so this sort of rode along with, um, right. with defense funding. So I do think that it's important for us to highlight and recognize um, what's going on, and then to also say, you know, the world needs copper. So or right. an alternative. So there you go. All of that is the contest at foot here. All right, Matt Hawkins and I got to leave it right there. Hey, thank you, brother. Appreciate your time with us today, as always. Thank you. Happy to be yeah. here. Have Let's a great take a weekend. quick break. For Greg Laurie's Knowing God. All right, joining me next, Chris Martin. We're going to talk about former President Trump's appeal to Facebook, to the Facebook Oversight Board, hoping to have his um, Facebook site uh, and Instagram accounts, I don't know, re... I don't know. What would you take? What would you? What would you call it, Paul? If they give it back to you? Or, yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. Something Replatformed, like reactivated, something like Replat- that. And I then we're also there. gonna. And then um, sticking with Facebook for a minute, um, Facebook has here's the headline: refriended Australia. <laughs> Those are a couple of the headlines we're going to talk with Chris Martin about up next. We'll be right back. Ever had that awful moment when you bark out a command at your kids and you realize you sound just like your parents? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. No matter how much we vow to parent differently than our mom and dad, we tend to perpetuate their style. But things are different these days. The world has changed. And parents, we need to change with the times. 
you and I need to move from controlling to coaching without surrendering our core values. We need to meet our kids at their level. Parents who dig in their heels and don't adjust tend to push their teens away. So shake off the negative habits of generational parenting. It's a new day. Shake up the family tree and adjust to meet the needs of your family. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining us, check out his Terms of Service newsletter. Um, you can find it at Substack. Termsofservice.social is an uh, easy place to grab it. Um, Chris, let's uh, let's start with, um, I mean, I'm tempted to ask you for your hot takes on what's trending, but really you, you and I both know this is really me asking for you to comment on people getting all swept up in what's trending. But here's what's trending. Hashtag Mr. Potato Head. Hashtag mm-hmm. Golden Calf. Hashtag Lady Gaga dogs. So th- what's funny is I, I we didn't talk about this before, but I think the uh, the Mr. Potato th- Head thing was a really funny thing that happened yesterday. So <laughs> especially the, because they didn't really mean what they said. Well, I I think the AP, the Associated Press, is to blame because I think they, <laughs> in their wire, in their wire out to every news organization in the world, misinterpreted mm-hmm. the press release released by uh, Hasbro, the toy company. So I was pretty busy yesterday, so I didn't see a lot of the conversation that was happening. But I just you know, saw stunning a lot that of... people be like, you were you were doing your real job, right? And so right, you weren't right. you weren't all swept up and caught up in whether or not Mr. Potato Head was being degendered or ungendered, or right. whether or not Hasbro was basically rebranding the line and yeah, removing yeah. the Mr. And so we have now the Potato Head line, which still features a Mr. Potato Head and a Mrs. Potato Head. Yeah, I think And according is, to my mom, like there's like kid potatoes, which I didn't even yeah, know. Right. So like what I gather, and this is interesting to me as someone who works in marketing and branding, who's done a lot of time, a lot, spent a lot of time in that space, like Hasbro saw a problem. They saw our brand is called Mr. Potato Head. Like that's the umbrella. <laughs> if you're imagining this, like imaging it, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, that's the umbrella is Mr. Potato Head. But under Mr. Potato Head is Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head and children potato heads and surely some other potato products um, that aren't actually potatoes. But uh, so they have all these things and they're like, well, the umbrella brand should probably just be Potato Head because it's weird if it's Mrs. Potato Head brought to you by Mr. Potato. You know, it's like that's kind of an awkward uh, because <laughs> they started with Mr. So that's why they're brand. So that I think what they were trying to do was clear up confusion by say, OK, the umbrella is now just Potato Head and and then everything Mr. lives under there and Mrs. lives under there and the kitties do and whatever else. Um, and a lot of people naturally decided to use the poor potatoes as pawns in their <laughs> cultural debates about gender and whatever else. So and I think best of what I could see, the AP was to blame for the for the uh, confusion. But anyway, or just in on the brilliant marketing scheme. Exactly. Okay. Uh, the golden calf um, uh, hashtag is related to a statue that has appeared at CPAC. And it is a very, very gold version of the former president, Donald Trump. Um, for those of you wondering, um, 
you should read Exodus 32, and maybe Chris and I will leave that there. The Lady Gaga dogs uh, hashtag is uh, over a news story that Lady Gaga's dogs were, um, well, her dog walker was shot, and two of the three dogs on on the leashes were stolen. Um, The third dog, which ran away, has been recovered by police and returned to Lady Gaga, but the two uh, dogs who are, I guess, suspected to be being held hostage, she's offering a $500,000 no strings attached reward. So there you go. That's the news headline related to that, in case you were wondering. Uh, now you don't have to go uh, look for that information. Chris, uh, the former president is making an appeal to Facebook to have his um, Facebook and Instagram accounts reactivated. To, what's going on here? Yeah, so um, Facebook slash Instagram, given they own Instagram, banned former President Trump from the platform following January 6th like every other major social media platform for the reasons that they gave, we don't need to rehash all of that and whether or not they're right in doing so. I think platforms have their right. We've talked about this before, but I think um, what happens now is the Facebook oversight board, which is imagine it's a Supreme court of Facebook content moderation. So it's a relatively independent body. I mean, they're associated with Facebook, but it's not Facebook employees. Um, it's ethics people, it's, it's people from across political spectrum. Um, you can go online and and find the actual people who sit on this board. Um, I think for all the ways that I fault Facebook for the myriad ways that it is the evil empire of the social internet, I think they've, this is a step in the right direction as far as content moderation, which every platform struggles with and no one has figured out how to fix. Um, So whether or not former President Trump gets to get back on Facebook and Instagram is up to them at this point. And and I'm not sure exactly the date that they have to decide by. It looks like uh, maybe by the end of February – well, end of February, March maybe. Um, But the case is before them. So they they have decided on a few cases already, um, smaller (laughs) cases with a little bit less firecrackers around them than this one. Um, And they are – tasked with deciding whether or not it's appropriate for the former president to get back on Facebook. Um, and I'm interested to see what they say. And I, Facebook has said that they are going to take the guidance of this oversight board on everything, no matter what. Um, they reserve the right, however, to do whatever they want. They're not legally bound to do it over this, whatever this oversight board says. Um, and so what, what will be interesting to see, not only in this case, but moving forward, is is the oversight board this sort of independent Supreme Court that Facebook has created? Uh, is it um, posturing? Like, did they just do it to look like they're to try to look like they're serious on content moderation, or are they are they actually going to take the guidance of these of these folks? And it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. Um, I think a case could be made one way or the other about whether or not former President Trump should be back on Facebook and Instagram. But I think uh, if I had to bet, I would bet that they do allow him back on at some point. I don't know if they'll say, yes, we've ruled that you can get back on, but not until 2022. Or you know, I, I don't know what they're going to say. I, I find it hard to believe that he will be forever banned from these platforms, but um, we'll just have to see. And I think it's going to be interesting. It'll be a precedent center, setter, that's for sure. Um, And it'll be interesting to see kind of what they decide. When we come back, um, Chris and I are going to talk more about Facebook and the refriending of Australia. Um, And if I can get him to, I'm going to ask him about Ryan T. Anderson 
uh, being basically depublished or erased by Amazon in terms of one of his books, uh, a book that has an 80 percent like rate by Google users, uh, a book that Amazon made a lot of money on. But now when you click on it, uh, Amazon says you can't even find it. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Chris Martin next. All right, continuing my conversation with Chris Martin. Um, Chris, let's talk about Facebook and Australia. You're going to have to do a little bit of the backstory here because I'm betting that a lot of people do not know um, what's behind the conversation, which ends in Facebook has refriended Australia. Yeah, so Facebook and Australia have kind of been in a fight. Um, The best way that I know how to explain it is this. And the metaphor is not perfect because it is a a bit complicated, but I think the metaphor may help a little bit. So Facebook is the paper boy and Australian news companies are the newspapers. I mean, they're either newspapers or television news or or web news or whatever else. But um, the only difference is the paper boy is making a lot of money by delivering the papers Um, and and. The newspapers are saying the paperboy is making too much money. We think we should get paid by the paperboy because the paperboy is making so much money by delivering our news. Uh, And the paperboy is like, wait, why should I pay you? The only reason people are getting your news is because I'm delivering it to them. And so what we have is we have Facebook and Australian news corporations, Reuters, Financial Times, Rupert Murdoch's News Corp, which obviously does a lot here in the U.S. too, um, have kind of gotten this fight where – here's the thing. They have kind of a parasitic relationship with each other in a way. Uh, some may call that a symbiotic relationship, but I don't know that they see it that way. Um, Facebook needs news content on its platform in order for people to be informed and to have co- – news content fuels – posting on Facebook. I mean, any of us who spend time on Facebook, we all see news videos or articles or the like pretty frequently um, from all kinds of news outlets or or pseudo news outlets, you know, opinion sites or whatever else. And so Facebook kind of needs that content to keep it, its machine going and keep people posting and also to help in their fight against misinformation. So a really good way to cause fake news to flourish on your platform is if you say, Real news can't be here anymore. Uh, So Facebook needs real news to be on its platform. Um, But then Australia news outlets are saying you're you're benefiting from our news on your platform. You're you're making a lot of money by news being on our news being on your platform. You're profiting off of our news. So you should be paying us. Um, And Facebook disagreed. And so they kind of got in this dispute. So eventually Australia passed a law that basically required tech companies to pay for news. And Facebook said, we're not complying with that law. So we're not going to allow news to be shared in Australia, period. And so they shut it down. And immediately misinformation and fake news flourished on the platform. Activity on Facebook plummeted generally. And they realized, hold on, we got to figure out how. And so they've come back to the negotiating table to make a very long story and complicated legal story short, 
they've come back to the negotiating table and they're willing to talk and they're trying they're going to try to figure they've kind of put a hold on all of the rules and regulations that were set to go in place and they're they're going to try to figure out a negotiation that can work and benefit each party but facebook is saying look you're we're the main reason and the main way people are seeing your news we shouldn't have to pay you we're serving you we're we're helping you and australia is saying yeah but you're also making a ton of money off of us so um and people would people would come straight to our site if they weren't seeing it on facebook so honestly we don't know if we really need you and so they're kind of in this standoff and each person each party is trying to figure out who's benefiting more and who should be paying and it's a really interesting again similar to our last conversation it's going to be kind of a precedenting precedent setting movement here because of what Facebook's concerned about is if this kind of thing takes off in Australia, it could certainly start taking off in some place like Europe or the U S uh, sooner rather than later. Well, and then we might have to pay for pay for news, right? Right. Why do we yeah, think, yeah. why do we think journalism should be free? Why? Uh, yeah. I mean, freedom yeah, of the press. I mean, maybe, maybe freedom of the press is confusing to people in much the same well, way that they confuse like social media with socialism. Like, I, I'm just Frank, saying, like, maybe there's an educational problem here that people think press should be free in terms of I don't have to pay for it, not free in terms of they they cover independently. If I'm going to be honest, um, without having done a ton of research into this, I think news companies are to blame uh, because. For the longest time, these outlets provided their content online for free. I mean, only in the last few years have sites like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal put all of their con- or Washington Post put all of their content behind a paywall. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of and those like, of, TV- and those of us who subscribe, right? I mean, we we fork right. out some serious cash. For, right, you right. Know, for those subscriptions. But, yeah. but it's like when, when the Internet was invented, theoretically, these major news companies could have made their stuff pay to access from the start, but they didn't. And mm-hmm. so they kind of um, they kind of set themselves up with a problem by providing their stuff online for free for a little while. And then people got used to it and they're like, well, I don't really know. And there's so much if you're just looking for what happened at this event. There are so many places where you can get that for free if you just want the facts. So many places you can just get that for free that it's hard to justify paying someplace like the Washington Post to give you the same facts a free place will give you. That's why a lot of times I think these platforms will benefit from having unique voices. Like I subscribe to a couple of these news outlets not just to get my daily news of what happened during the day, but I want to read what this person said about this Mm -hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of news outlets are benefiting from like individual personalities and columnists. So anyway. Yeah. And 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 yet um, people who don't want to pay um, are then going and finding other personalities to follow. And and so yep. they are getting a different set of facts and they are getting a different yep. spin um, or interpretation of this. OK, let's talk a little bit um, about what you've got posted right now at Terms of Service. Um, three appeals of the early Internet. I know we don't have time to cover all of them, but just talk with us a little bit about what the Internet was sort of supposed to be and um, and the and the origin in terms of what it was like. Yeah. When the Internet came around in the late 90s, there are three major appeals. I think there was the appeal of anonymity, like you could be anyone you wanted online. I remember when I was a kid, it was like, man, I, I might be a nerdy, unpopular kid at school, but like I could take on a different persona online and, and be someone different. And there's a there was an appeal to that. There's an appeal of exploration. Like when you logged on through your slow dial up internet, 
and you like may hey, maybe I've never been to Italy before, but I could go see pictures of what it looks like in a way that maybe I've never been able to see before. And then there's also community, which obviously persists to today. And that's that's kind of what made the internet so special from early on, whether it was AOL chat rooms or playing games on the early days of Yahoo or whatever else. Um, what what made the internet so appealing and the reason like AOL dominated back in the late 90s is because we wanted the internet to be social from day one. So like the book I'm, I've written that comes out a year from now really focuses on how the internet has always been social. And uh, if we really track the internet's evolution through history, we can see that we've just always wanted to connect with other people. And I think that's kind of what makes it special. And, and that's what we talk about a lot here. So Okay, because so um, I would like to tee up a conversation based on something you just said. So um, maybe the next time or the next time after that that we talk, you just made a statement that said the book I have written, which comes out a year from now. There are people listening right now who have no idea how an idea or a research project or, hey, this really caught my attention, how that then becomes a book and why it takes so long. If you've written the book, why do we have to wait a year to see it? Can we talk (laughs) a little bit? Can we talk about that process just so people will have a little bit of an insight into like, you know, how does Chris's really good idea become a book and why does it take so long? Sure. That sounds great. Oh, that sounds fun. Okay. Chris Martin, um, he'll be back, obviously, based on the fact that I have now set a ball on the tee that he can hit out of the park. Hey, we love it. We love talking with you. Blessings. Thanks. You too. We'll be right back. So much to cover. The goal is to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. So I want you to think about what uh, what's in the headlines today. What are you reading? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? And how um, does, you know, because you know the Word of God, because you've been in the Word of God, where's sort of the hook for you as a Christian to walk into those conversations that are already taking place today and to be like, hey, I have, a, I have a view on that that might be a little bit different than what's just being talked about um, out there in the world. You know, the story, there is a story of a golden calf. Um, let, me, let me tell you about it. Now, you're going to tell them the story of Exodus 32. You're not going to read them the chapter because, you know, frankly, it's scary as hell. Um, but you're going to tell them that story and help them and help then uh, enter into a conversation about idolatry, which is the reality of every human heart. Or maybe you um, are reading a headline about a good Samaritan and you could say, hey, you know what? Um, that actually, that story has an origin. Can I tell you the origin story of the Good Samaritan? And then you're going to tell them the story that you know about what it means uh, to show mercy to neighbor, those kinds of things. All right, we're going to do a little bit more of that at the top of the next hour. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.